But tonight, we're going to focus on relationships, and we have with us one of the queens of relationships. She's actually known as the wing woman, or female hitch, if you remember the movie Hitch. Uh, actually, if you Google her, that's what will come up. Erin began, began her private coaching back in 2014, when demand became too great for Shabbatness, which was an organization she started that still continues. They run these great Shabbat dinners for young, single Jewish professionals. They have them every month. She has since broadened her demographic and services and is honored to have facilitated not just numerous relationships, including very recently four marriages and two births. I assume the births came from the marriages. You're not fixing up. Right, okay, that's weird. But also many, you have to change that on your bio, but also many friendships and business partnerships as well. She really just brings people together. As the female hitcher, wing woman, and coaching services have expanded to include breakup therapy. Oh, wow. Dog custody, mediation, makeovers, and undercover dating detective work. Okay, we'll have to add a question on that. She has performed stand-up comedy with Jerry Seinfeld numerous times. Has been featured on ABC, Bravo, HGTV. Who needed Rabbi Shmuel? This is unbelievable. And as the host of Jewish Life, television, Bubbies Know Best, uh, welcome, Erin. Thank you so much for being here. Let's give it up for Erin. So I want to get into, um, I'm a drummer, and I remember when uh, electronic drums started becoming the rage. And I got all upset because I used to be in a, a klezmer band. I used to play bar mitzvahs and weddings. I did that for about seven or eight years when I was in college and graduate school. And then they came out with these like electronic drums and synthesizers. And like all of a sudden I started seeing bands without drummers. Like, who needs them? You can just push the button and get the, the, the beat you want. So I, I have a similar question for you, which is, there's been a proliferation of dating apps. Okay, by show of hands, be honest. How many of you have been on a dating app? I've met somebody, look at that, almost everyone in the room, okay? So I have two questions. I'm just wondering if this proliferation provided by social media, do you think is actually hurting people's abilities to find their soulmate? Um, there is an interesting study of um, people who go into a uh, um, like a CVS type of store that has let's say 17, 18 brands of toothpaste yeah. as opposed to another place that has five brands people buy more when there's five so I'm, I'm curious what you have to say about that well first of all I'm very sorry about your drumming career but I am <laughs> glad that you're, that you're here um, I use this, a very similar example I use a shopping example I always tell all my female clients when you have to just go get a little black dress and you go to Macy's at Herald Square, it is one of the worst experiences ever. If you have a personal shopper find five dresses for you, isn't that much more manageable? But if your mom says, hey, I got the one dress I need you to wear for this wedding, you gotta wear it. What are the chances that one dress? So I'm not a huge fan of even just like one-on-one -on -one setups um, because I actually think we do best with just a few options. Um, but to answer your question about the dating apps, I actually believe they, they don't necessarily hurt you. They hurt overall the psychology of dating these days, unfortunately. But I actually have, um, I have a whole thing called swipe smart strategy. And so when my clients first come on, I actually do a full evaluation and um, I do a dating detox. And part of that is actually how to navigate the apps and actually make them more exciting. Um, but it's really important that apps these days serve as a supplement and not the only thing. And that's why I'm grateful for MJD too and even just having Shabbat dinners. I think just the act of congregating and just getting used to socializing and meeting people in person 
is a, it's so essential. But dating apps themselves, I actually think that they can be used and, and not abused in a really good way. So I'll give you guys an example. Like with my, um, with my Swipe Smart, I um, will let somebody, a, a client that I see has been burnt out. They just start mindlessly swiping and dating's no longer exciting. I make you swipe right or like if it's Hinge. Um, and of course, that's a whole thing. I make you comment and, and, um, and you know, really try to personalize the way that you initiate a conversation. But I make you only like three people and then you're, you have to shut off the app for a while. But you have to put so much thought into those three that you like, okay, so that, that when you get a notification that you get a match, do you know how much more exciting it is? I promise you, it's so exciting. Because you are like, which one? Which one? And you know that since I'm only allowing you to swipe three in like the course of maybe a week, that you have put in thought, you have really said, you know what, not eh, maybe we'll just see if they like me back and then I'll decide then. That is harmful thinking. So another thing is I do a lot of sleuthing when it comes to the app. I make sure that I, of course, if you just list your school and your job and your name, that's enough information to find the person online. Do as much detective work as you can to see if this is a good chance that you might hit it off in person. So that, to me, the apps can be used better. Um, but overall, the psychology of just disposing people and just uh, that, that you're a one-dimensional thing is has been harmful. It's been harmful. Mm. It's interesting because I was... Um wondering, and you just touched on it, whether, you know, more choices, whether or not we are quicker with people. I had a rabbi years ago when I was single who called me up to fix me up, and he said, I have a great idea for you, Mark, but I, I'm not going to fix you up with her unless you agree to go out on at least two dates with her. <laughs> okay. And I was like, I was a little put off. I was like, well, let's say I don't like her after day one. And he said, it, whatever it is, it's either, either accept the two dates or you don't get fixed up with her. And I asked him why, and he said, she's really lovely, but she's, um, she's not so outgoing, and um, it's gonna take her a little time to warm up, and you're not gonna really get a sense for who, who she really is until date two. Do you, do you, what's your feeling on that? Do you say, unless they have like a criminal record, a felony, like you go out on another date no matter what? Depends on the crime, I mean, that's <laughs> um, um, so I'm actually a big believer in two dates, but I try to work with people to make your first date the most successful it can be. Really set up, like go on a date and be very excited and make it as conducive for romance as possible. So to me, I really try to set up that first date for success um, and really even get excited about a setup. I'm a big believer in, um, I have a lot of rules for first dates. If it's blind from an app or a setup, I want it to be like an hour. It's just like a, a quick drink. Um, because if you end up liking them a lot, I'm not saying if you, if you meet at MJE, you don't have to do that because you already know what the per you're already excited. A complete stranger, just keep it to an hour. And then if you really like each other, the cool part is you are so excited for the second date. You're so excited. If you don't like them, then that's it. It was one hour of your, of your life. And, you and they know that in place. advance. That it's yeah. Just so that's important. You can't show up and then be like, Hey, I can only be here for like an hour. <laughs> They're going to think, you know, you just made that decision. You tell them ahead of time. Hey, you know, I, I've got a crazy week. I can't wait to meet you. But since, you know, we haven't met in person, do you, you know, do you mind just meeting at like six o'clock for like a happy hour drink? And then I've got a birthday to go to at eight. And you set it up ahead of time. Um, and then and that way you're not more excited. By that, the other person no, doesn't. as long as you do it ahead of time and, and you say, you know, to me, if it's an app date or a setup, that's a much better way to do it. Um, and then I like to still believe, and if there is even just a, enough there, I believe in a second date very much because I like a short first date 
and then get in a second date also. And then I believe in the law of averages. So if you average your experiences together, here's the problem. If you only go on one date with somebody, everything they do is magnified. So if that person is 20 minutes late, they're officially a late person, right? Well, if they're never late again, then the average, it comes out to, this isn't a late person. Unfortunately, on a first date, everything you do is magnified. On a second date, at least it gets watered down and averaged a little bit. So if you were late on the first date, you make it up on the second date, you're on time. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm a big believer in the second date, but to me, the first date is that I have so many rules to set you up for success. Um, think about how many dates you go on. If you go on a million first dates, each one is really long. You go to the same like area, the same restaurant, you know, within the first five minutes, there goes your night. You're not having that much fun. We ladies take hours. I mean, I'm like, I do not wake up like this. And if I did this and then in five minutes, I'm like, oh, I'm stuck with this guy. I did a blog um, on my Shabbatness website. I have a blog too, and it's called the, um, the No Fail First Date. And it talks about my biggest fail of a first date, which was a setup by my grandma, of course. <laughs> and um, the guy was, she didn't tell, I mean, I don't have a big thing with height, but he was literally, I'm five foot three. He was 4'11". And it wasn't a big deal, it was just like, she didn't set me up to think it was gonna be a good setup. But what he did, he took me to a baseball game, he had dinner, desserts, it was a nine hour date. And I just, I knew in the first 10 minutes, I wasn't attracted, even he had a sinus infection, so he was blowing his nose every two minutes, his nose was red, snot was in a tissue. I knew, but he had a nine hour date planned. Don't do it, guys, because even, even if you're really into your dates, I promise you, if you turn it into a nine-hour date and you're crazy about your date, you have nowhere to go. You have nowhere to go from there. Sustainability is one of the biggest problems in dating today. If you rocket launch, if you start up here, and then you're texting nonstop every day, oh my God, you're, you're my soulmate, my Bashir, oh. Then, and then the next day, like, what do you do? Like, where do you go from there? And so if you start, when real life hits and you're not texting as much as you were on the, after the first and second date, then you psychologically think, I guess it's over. So try to think of sustainability. First of all, a second date is important as a building block on a trajectory. Mm -hmm. Okay, so short first dates, if you're being fixed up or it was a, it was a dating app. Uh, what did you tell your sure. grandmother afterwards? My grandma tried to set me up with my cousin also. So <laughs> let me just put that out there. She was like, I know a great Jewish doctor. He's very successful. He lives in Rhode Island. I said, Grandma, it's Barrett. I, I know. Barrett. And, he, and then she was like, he's right here. Talk to him. I said, I've talked to him my whole life. <laughs> but he wasn't, we weren't blood related. It was like my uncles. But it, the bottom line the family, is, we were yeah. raised as cousins. So no. But yeah. so, she's um, the inspiration for why I even do what I do. So she was a true Yenta. Not a successful one, but a Yenta in the sense that she no, just see all of you everywhere and match you all day long. <laughs> okay. Let's give it up for Bubby. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm going to get in. I, just, I have a question about politics. Andrew and I were talking about this before. When I, I'm going to sound like the old. And you're still here. friends. This is a good. Yeah, time. yeah. I want to thank Andrew, by the way. Yeah, Andrew's great. the one who does all of our content for social media, our posts, our everything. So if you're enjoying any of my stuff, uh, any of MGE stuff, or you don't, then you can complain to Andrew as well. Um, you can. So, yes, uh, yeah. yes. But you can check me out on Instagram, Facebook, and all that fun stuff. How do you feel? Like when I dated, it would have been the last question in my mind, are you a Democrat, are you a Republican? Yeah. The last question in my mind. And I, I also want to know what, you know, because I have, 
a student here from MGE, very accomplished person in general. She moved to Florida during COVID. Now, the reason she moved to Florida during COVID was not the weather. She said she couldn't, she, her ideology, her political affiliation started shifting. You could tell which way it shifted. She moved to Florida, okay? And she just said she couldn't, you know, politics was such a major issue with guys that she was dating. Um, what, what's your feeling about that? So um, I also lived in Florida, unfortunately, during the pandemic. It was awful. I'm back. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, I, I could bring on the snow and you'll never hear me complain. So yes. So yeah, good for her down there. Good luck. Um, can't help anyone down there with dating. Uh, um, uh, so uh, to, all right, to answer your question, politics. So to me, politics are as much of a deal as you want them to be. So if you are an incredibly political person and you are asking those questions before a date, I had a client a couple days ago call me and she said, Aaron, I canceled this first date with a guy on Hinge because he said, I need to know your beliefs on the following. She said, I already know he's going to be polarizing. Even if our beliefs are kind of similar, he's going to want to talk about it all the time. And I just don't want that to drive compatibility. So it just depends. So that guy, the one that she canceled the date on, is really important to him. So he needs to find somebody who is in line with him in that way. Um, I personally, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think people should talk about it. I also think that it's similar to observance levels. If you're extreme in anything, if you're extreme in your observance and you're not wavering, if you're extreme in your political beliefs, if you're extreme in anything, then you need to confront it. You need to find your, your match for that. But it really depends on where you personally stand, in my opinion. Um, so for me, it's not a big, it's not a big deal. I'm not very extreme with many things. I'm very flexible. So it hasn't been an issue for me, but it's an issue for clients. It's an issue for people, right. like you said. Like, and and so let's take it away from Republican, Democrat. Let's say conservative versus liberal, because then we get more oh, that's into a, values. I hear that more, yeah. Because now we're talking about values. values. And obviously, can you, can, I mean, can we date, can a liberal date a conservative? Can uh, someone who is not hard right, date someone who's very left, that's not going to work, obviously, I, I, but somebody yeah. who's a little right of center, you know, right. um, be comfortable in your mind and fall in love, have a family, children together, navigate the value differences yes. between a conservative and a liberal. And it depends on the values. Like, I, I do see that people um, will argue on tiny specifics, and I try to get them to think big picture, like family, like how you want to raise your kids, how you actually want to live, the big things instead of just the nitty gritty. Um, and I feel like people get really tied up in the little things or they'll get, they'll see a story in current events and they will just attack a, a very specific story. And I try to bring them back and recenter and say, well, think about the big goals you have on how you're gonna raise your family, where you wanna live. And, and when you can bring it back and realize that like there are bigger morals and values to things and you find common ground. But I do find that politics in general, they're not that sexy. And again, my first date rules, I'm trying to make your environment conducive for romance. So no, no so political conversations, to, date one? I, I like to keep it kind of general. Like if you just kind of establish it and then change the subject, okay? If you find out, even if you have a lot in common. Um, now, that being said, I, I did go to Georgetown and I do spend a lot of time in D.C., those people turn each other on over politics, okay? And one of my clients, you're gonna love this, it's a guy who told me, like, Aaron, I gotta tell you about this date I just had last week. He goes, she showed up wearing the exact same thing as me, a blue button-down, khakis, and loafers. And he said, and all we did was talk politics, it was so sexy. So that works down there, okay? So again, up here I see a very different, I love studying 
romance, dating, um, and also politics on a geographic difference. Like the differences when you go all over this country is one thing I specialize in. I lived in Miami and all I did was do studies and polls. Um, I'm from a small town in Georgia. It's very different to be a conservative and a liberal in a small town in Georgia and then to move up to New York. Um, I've seen so much. And so it really depends. It's a part of the getting to know you process, but I try to get people to change the subject when it comes to veering off on a first date on what I believe isn't isn't like conducive to romance. Mm -hmm. And those topics can veer off really quick. So I try to to teach people how to segue. It's good to establish those, but don't let it dictate the entire conversation. Right. Now, the next thing I want to ask you is definitely a, um, I just taught a class last week in the room across the hall on Judaism's perspective on sexuality. Yeah. And we spoke a lot about the commercialization of sex today, but sex as it relates to dating, um, there's no question there's a huge chasm between traditional Judaism's stance you know, of sex within marriage as opposed to, let's say, our society today. What is your feeling um, when it comes to intimacy before marriage? And I'll, and I'll share one thing, and you'll tell me is this the, if this is just the rantings of an of old-fashioned you know, Orthodox rabbi, or is it like something that you think is important? Uh, the idea of, of being truly committed to another person before there being physical uh, intimacy. What, what's your feeling about that? How does that play out um, how does that play out in relationships that you, you know, you coach a lot of couples? Yes. How is that working? Um, I mean, I definitely try, you know, I have my own personal beliefs, which I'll get to, but I also do try to study the, the couples I mediate, the people I work with. I want them always to do what's right for them, what they're psychologically equipped for. When I have clients that are very young, like very young 20s, a lot of them aren't psychologically ready to engage in physical, intimate relationships at a very young age yet if they don't have much experience. It's very different. I'm in my late 30s now. I work a lot in the 30s, 40s demographic, and there's a big shift. Okay, so I do assess everybody is different. Um, I, if you guys have ever seen the millionaire matchmaker, Patty Stanger, have you ever seen that show on Bravo? Um, so she has, I've done podcasts with her when I was out in LA and we clash on a few things. One, you won't believe this one, she thinks redheads are hideous and everyone should dye their hair with. My longest relationship was with a gorgeous ginger who looked like Conan O'Brien. We were together for four years, it's amazing. So I think redheads are the hottest thing. So she, she makes people dye their hair if it's red. But number two away, is away from um, red. She, she says it's, she's it's awful. Oh. And I do stand up sets on King how David. hot gingers are. Okay? Said, I, said King King David had I just say, oh, my, I mean, seriously. I, so we clashed on that. And the second thing we clashed on is she believed that, um, that you, that no intimacy unless you are monogamous, exclusive, and incredibly committed to each other. And I don't believe in that. I think that's part of the package. So to me, I, I think exclusivity is basically in, in, on, next to engagement these days. So for me, you need to know what you're dealing with before you commit to marrying somebody. So yes, I mean, I know in Judaism it can be controversial, but I do, for me, I believe it's part of the getting to know somebody. Um, but then again, you need to be very serious about somebody and keep open lines of communication and make sure that what you're doing is a very good decision for both of you. Um, but I have seen, with my clients, I have seen people, there's a window of time. Can I just jump in? I don't know if yeah. you're familiar. There is, I don't know if this directly conflicts with what you just said, but there is a very interesting study that, that came out, because when I got engaged, okay, I was already a rabbi, my wife was becoming observant, and her friends took her out and said, you're going to get married to this guy without moving in, without knowing right. what's going on physically. 
And she started trying to explain what she started learning about that Judaism requires attractiveness before marriage, but not sexuality. There's a distinction. We're supposed to be attractive physically, but we don't express that until after. Um, and there was a fascinating study that came out years later of higher divorce rates amongst couples who actually moved in with each other yes. beforehand. And the idea, that, that's my question, is, is that, you know, sort of taking a car out for the test run kind of thing, like, how sure, you know, it, or is it just like an illusion? Because I'm, I'm married 27 years now, and, and thank you. Um, and I just feel like every five years, I become somebody else. Every five years, I think my wife became somebody else. I came up with five. It's an arbitrary number, but it kind of fits a lot of couples that I know. If we keep changing who we are, right, is the idea, is the idea of trying to see the other person, not just sex now, seeing the other person in every kind of possible scenario to make sure that I know how this person is gonna be. Well, the reality is we're gonna change dramatically. In five years, we're going to be something else. How do you no, feel I did, about that? I did a big podcast on change, the C word. I'm very, very sensitive to the word change. Um, you guys seem pretty young. Can you raise your hand if you're in your 20s? Just trying to get a feel of demographic. Oh, how about 30s? Okay. And then 40s? Okay, great. I'm going to give you guys some warnings about what's to come. Okay. But um, so I study a lot on age and change is a big, big topic that I get. And my biggest lesson of 2022, I was interviewed and I have one based on my own relationship experiences as well, but also with my clients. When you are in your 20s, and this is probably applied when you met your wife, I find that my brother um, and I set him up with his wife and they met at 21. They grew together and they changed into completely different people. The good news is they grew together. But they grew apart at times and they changed a lot in their 20s and now they've been married for over 10 years and it's been beautiful for me to watch but it's very different than what i deal with with my late 30s and my 40s couples the biggest piece of advice i had learned from 2020 to 2022 um, is that and i this comes back from my own experience the men i dated in my 20s we were very serious and we grew we did not grow together so we did not get married we'd stay together for three years and i realized that we became very different people but i knew it at the time like we knew we were changing dated a resident who was working his way up and didn't want to live in new york wanted to go to the suburbs and i knew that was going to happen we were changing and getting our career in place now i am 37 and the men that i meet in their late 30s 40s they ain't changing at all if i could give you guys the biggest piece of advice it's that, it's that when, it's, but this goes, and I don't mean to be too gender specific, but I am singing with my females in their late 30s and when they're dating men that are in their 40s. They, um, a comedian once said this on a joke, on a first date, the woman looks at the man and says, I cannot wait to change him. The man looks at the woman and says, I hope she stays like this forever and doesn't change. Because they love who they are on the first date. They're all dressed up and giving their best. And we say, can't wait to change this guy. And the truth is, they ain't changing, so um, the biggest piece of advice I give a lot of people is as we get older, we aren't growing into a million people as, as we would um, when we're younger. So what you see, you need to really love that person for who they are, except for they are. Yes, when you come together, you mesh, and you will come together and create something together, but who you are as individuals, the older you get, that is who you are. And I can't tell you how many people come to me and be like, well, he has so much potential. And if he just gets a job and if he just starts getting ambition and what, and I'm like, oh goodness, because I already know what's gonna happen. Now, when you're young, I do see so much change and it is beautiful, but I do believe part of the high divorce rate is that you are gambling when you are young. You are taking 
a 50-50 chance, and that's why the divorce rate is 50%. Do you grow together or do you grow apart? The good news is my clients, my main demographic is 30s, so I would say mid-30s to 40s, and they get frustrated. The number one complaint I get, people come to me, and they hire me, and they say, I have not had a boyfriend in so long. I'm like 35, and it's been like years, and I say, you're not going to have another boyfriend. You're not going to have another girlfriend. You're going to meet your person, and that's going to be it. So you're either going to date or you're going to be with your person. There's no like, I'm with this guy for like two years and I don't know. It doesn't happen anymore as we get older. The good news is when we do connect as an, at an older age, to me, the success rate is very high. So it may be harder to find, but the connection is insane because you know who you are and you, and you know who the other person is. And if you accept each other and you love each other, it's really, really beautiful and successful. I love that you guys have one of those beautiful stories of changing and having five. I, w I would love to know which of the five personalities in here she was the best. Uh, I mean, your I favorite. It, it's funny, you know, we, we focus at MG on 20s and 30s spiritually because of what you just said. Because I know a people, lot of people who are spiritually still in their 20s and 30s. You guys know who they well, are. So, you know. because they, we do change less as we get older. There are notable exceptions. We always love to hold out these great rabbinic sages like Rabbi Akiva, who at the age of 40, 40, went to study the Hebrew alphabet with five-year-olds and became arguably the greatest rabbinic sage who ever lived. Does that happen all the time? No, we did a little internal study um, after about 10 or 12 years of MGE's existence. And we noticed the people who became what's called Bali Tshuva, who returned to Judaism and became fully observant to whatever degree religious Jews, were the average age was about 26, 27. And we reach out to 20s and 30s. So that's by and large very, very true. You know, the, the question is 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 um, also are, are you what what do you what, how do you help someone who's in a long-term relationship? I mean I'll, I'll tell you a crazy story. We used to bring um, one of the great rabbis of this generation of Victor Nevinsel is living in a very, very different world. I used to be a student many years ago in Yeshiva. He's the chief rabbi of the old city of Jerusalem. So every year I'd bring a group, like do a Q&A with him. So one woman, I would translate, he would only do it in Hebrew. So one woman raised her hand and she said, how do you know how much time to give it? She asked the rabbi. How much time do you give it before, if you're not feeling something, move on to somebody else? So I translate it to him and he says back, which means one, two, maybe three. And I'm like, she's thinking, she goes, years or dates? And he's thinking dates, okay? She's living with this guy for two years and not sure how she feels about him. How do you help, help people avoid those situations? I've tried over the years to counsel students who've been living or in a long-term relationship with someone who ends up the breaking up with the same with that person for the same reason they felt six months earlier. And personally, autobiographically, I had about six or seven relationships before I got married. And I would say a, a bunch of them went on for six, seven, eight months, and we ended up breaking up over the same issue that I felt within the first few weeks. And I felt after each one of those, I wasted time. And I feel the same way with some of my students. Like, how do you counsel people to, you know, make it work, you know, walk down the chuppah, get under the chuppah, or break up? Because people are wasting valuable years, and I did myself. Yeah. So, um, 
I actually think six months is a good amount of time that you had a bunch of relationships. It's the ones that go on and on that I, that I have trouble with. So I specialize, I tell myself I specialize in, in four, four and a half years and younger because that's as long as I made it, very healthy relationships. So I, I do a lot of mediation, a lot of couples that have lasted that long. And um, I, one of my favorite quotes is, the ending is in the beginning. You guys know in the beginning. If something is going to destroy your relationship, you know what it's gonna be and you are almost always right. Um, I encourage, I'm a big writer, I've had a journal since I was eight, and I believe in note-taking. So like, if you realize, before I say, before the blinders come down, you, on that first, second, third date, write down what you think's gonna be the problem. And it's amazing, You're, you'll be your own fortune teller. Six months down the road, you're like, I knew that kid was a Peter Pan, he was never gonna grow up. You'll know, you will write the like, oh, mommy issues, guess what, you're right. So most of the time, so it why is do we right. stay? Why do we stay so long in these relationships? I think we there's hope. Is um, hope the, the movie that won the Oscar a few years ago? Parasite. The message at the end, spoiler alert, is that hope is a parasite. It eats away at you because um, we we as humans, I believe, we we look for silver linings. We hope. We always keep just that little bit of like, I know this guy isn't great, but but but, but it, this could work out. And um, I, I had a wise, I love to interview people who've been together for many, many years or are much older. I love seniors and I, I love journaling and getting their take. And I had somebody tell me um, in his 60s, um, I said, what's your biggest piece of advice that I can tell people when I'm, when I'm giving a speech? And he said, oh yeah, well, I think the biggest mistake people make is, well, you know, don't get in a relationship with the wrong person. And I was like, and he goes, just think about it for a second. Just think about it. And I did, and he goes, you see? He goes, you know how many times I knew that this person wasn't gonna be good for me or it wasn't gonna work out? And I said, ah, let's try it anyway. I said, but once you're in, it's so hard to get out. And he's right, because you start to get attached as it goes on. Um, and I do have this belief, like when a couple comes to me and they've been together for say like over two and a half, three years, it's very hard for me to save them because I do believe there is a window. I call it the window of romance, okay? When if you miss it and you don't get engaged, if marriage is what you want, I'm not saying marriage isn't the goal for people, for everybody, um, but it is for a lot of people, especially in Judaism too. It's the goal for everybody. It's the goal for a lot of people. Um, it really is, so I just have to give my disclaimer. It's not for everyone, um, but it, I realize when they come to me and, and if they ask me to mediate and it's like three, three and a half, four years in, it's going to be hard. To me, they've missed their romance window. And that's when I call it, they're in the decision window. They will never get struck by lightning and get butterflies ever again. They, they, will, love, they will love their partner, but they have to decide if they're going to get married at that point. So I try to encourage to like, if you, if you are looking for marriage, to get engaged in the romantic window, which is typically around six months to like a year and a half. You don't want to do a shotgun wedding because I have seen problems with people getting so excited and carried away. But I, can, I typically say it's a window between six months and like two years where you still have that like, oh my gosh, he proposed versus, okay, we sat down and we made a decision. It's been like five years and my mom's sick and like, we just got to do this. I mean, let's, I'm all for romance. I, I'm a romantic at heart. And, and when that window is over, it is so hard for me, guys, because even as a mediator, I try to bring back romance, and I do have ways, I do have ways to get couples to, to fall back in love. But I, I encourage people to really make their, make their moves during the window of romance, because and any, it's and, and any, hard. Any tips for anyone in such a relationship who can't sort of pull the trigger? In other words, no. the, the person is not contemplating yes. a breakup. They just don't they want to get to. married. 
Um, I, I am a big, so one of my biggest services is the breakup. So people will hire me to teach how to have uh, the best breakup, the healthiest breakup possible, but also to get your ex to want to marry you or come back. So I do have a template. I have a very hard way of doing this, but unfortunately it's very hard. But if it's been like two years and you have that conversation, I first coach with you on how to have the conversation that isn't going to nag the partner and be like, you haven't put a ring on it. I just sit with this. No passive aggressiveness. No, no, no games. You just have a nice, cool conversation. Like, you know, we've been together for a while. Like, I just need to, I really need to know if it's going somewhere just for my own peace of mind, time. And you got to be really cool about it. So I coach them on not, you know, getting like, you haven't put a ring. And, and then they're fighting and none of that. And then when you find out your partner's like, I just, you know, I just don't know. I don't know about you. I don't know. You've got to go. I know it's painful, but you've got to go. I don't know. To me, that is like one of the most hurtful things. If I'm dating a man and he doesn't know that I'm it, I'm like, I'm out. So I teach people how to, you, you have a hard, self-respectful breakup. You say, it, it's kind of Shark Tank style. Like, I really like what you're doing. You're awesome. But this isn't for me. I'm out. Okay. But you always compliment. So I have a template. That is really like, you know, this you know not, I'm crazy about you and I want this to this work out. This is not out. just and guys. You've had this with women too. Oh, yeah. It was 50, 50. Oh, very much. I, I would say my clients are like split with 50%. Yeah. So definitely, I coach a lot of women on how to do this and men too. But here's the big thing. After you have that talk where you, you don't go down a dark rabbit hole and say, remember when you did this this time? And I thought, no, it's just a very simple conversation. I want a family. I want to get married. I'm wasting my time. I really wanted it to be you. I can't do this anymore. And then here's the hardest part. It's over. Like no more like, can we be friends? Can we get... So that's where my service comes in and I come in and I do a full purge. I make over your home. I have a real estate license. I get you moved to another apartment. I do dog custody. I do mediation and find out Witness if she's coming. Program. If your ex is coming to MJE Shabbat, I make sure if she's coming, I let you know. You don't touch so you don't have a run in. I do run in services. There's no contact. You have to be very cool. And then I give you a the hottest, sexiest makeover of your life. And then we post a little, you know, photo every now and then. You're looking real good. And that X will come crawling back. It works. It works every time. So I have a formula. And then if, if marriage is going to happen, that is how I get them to do it. But if it's like four years, five, it's getting really difficult for me. But if you do it at the one and a half, two year, and you follow my template, and you do what you can, if that person is your person, it, you, it a lot of time makes them kind of reevaluate. Um, yeah, I have a whole, and this goes for men and women. I do the exact same service for both. It doesn't, there's no difference between the two because it's, to me the sexiest thing is self-respect so if you just stick up for what you want if a guy says i don't know if you're it and you say okay well i'm just gonna stick around while you just think about it no you say sorry I, i'm worth a lot more than not knowing sorry and you gotta go and it's, it's really painful it's really really painful and i have a whole breakup thing i have a breakup survival guide i make you change your phone ringtones i make you change your perfumes what you eat because I, I believe in the senses reminding you of your ex i make you move your furniture around i do all this stuff to make you like move on and and do everything we can and then if your ex comes back great but you might be in with somebody else and most of my clients they've already moved on by the time somebody comes back who was wishy-washy and didn't know if they get you know if they want marriage or anything it happens a lot it kills me it's probably one of the most common problems i see is that that's why i'm asking it's just yeah it's, all it's very time. common it's horrible. It's, just, it's a self-esteem killer. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Um, most of the rabbis or teachers I've had have suggested the following three, you know, like how long is the list? 
you know, because mm -hmm. as we get older, the list gets longer. Yes. So I've heard, and it was a great Rabbi Yeshiva University said this, attraction, physical attraction, shared values, and specifically, I've heard this from a number of rabbis. We had Rabbi Moshe Weinberger here. We did a Q&A in the other room, and he said this, the midah, the quality, the, the character trait of chesed, of kindness. All right. He said those are, the, those are the big three, he thinks. I'm curious, concur, disagree, have any others? Physical attraction, shared values, and kindness. Okay. Thoughtfulness. I have a million others. Um, I don't know. But, but, yeah, no, but what those are, that? Yeah, I will say, um, first of all, I believe physical attraction is just a gateway. It's very important. It, it, to me, it's like the little entry point. Once you have that, we can start talking about all the other things because it is not enough. If you are attracted and you think that's enough, it is not. But once you have it, you're like, okay, great. Now I can start evaluating before the blinders come on and we just start like letting all the red flags go this way and that way. We need to remember what those other things are after attraction. Um, biggest thing I can say about kindness, it, it is so underrated and it drives me insane. I have had clients hire me and say, teach me how to be like kind of like the cool guy that's like, you know, bad boy. I'm like, absolutely not. We want a really nice guy. I'm from Georgia. I'm from a small town. Manners are like the most underrated thing. I think sweet, kind, overly nice guys are really hot. Here's what the confusion is that nice guys are like, nice guys are nice people aren't. Somebody who doesn't have opinions is not the same thing. So if you're a doormat and you are getting that mistaken for kindness, you're wrong. So kindness and somebody who has a very strong sense of identity, that can go hand in hand. So that's where I see where some clients will come to me and say, I think girls aren't interested in me because I'm too nice. And I'll soon after an evaluation realize that, well, it's just because they don't take charge. They have no opinions. They just say like, whatever you want to do. And they think that's what niceness is. And, and it's not. So you gotta get that definition, but but kindness is huge. Physical attraction is just mandatory or else you're friends. I mean, that's what makes a romantic relationship different in my opinion. Um, and then shared values is very big. That's why I don't let people get stuck on the nitty gritty. Um, I say, keep remembering the big things. If you have values in line, you can get past what I call spot treating. Um, when couples come to me for, for counseling, I can spot treat, but the giant things have to be confronted. And one lesson that I've also learned, I tell people, um, in the past couple of years is that I've seen many people when they're just start early dating, they don't ask questions that they don't want to know the answers to mm -hmm. because they're scared. They're going to find out something that like they can't be with this person anymore and, and just get over that fear. Um, and like early on, if I start dating somebody who I don't think is, is or maybe he has commitment issues and he's not really going to be able to bite the bullet, never get married. I'm too scared to talk to him about marriage because I'm like, God, it's early on. It's going to scare them off. Ask those questions because there's actually a profound sense of relief with clarity. You, whenever you get those answers, the girls who, who have come to me and they've been living with a man for now two or three years, and they're like, I don't think he's ever gonna pop the question. And I'm like, well, have you asked him? You guys ever talk? She's like, no, I don't wanna know. And I'm like, well, you're gonna have to know. You gotta know. So ask those questions, because the longer you wait, the more you're gonna get mad at yourself. Forget the guy, forget the girl. You're gonna get mad at yourself for not asking those questions. And then it just builds and builds. So there's, just remember that there is relief in knowing and clarity. Um, so I think there's fear, fear-based dating a lot too. Like we just want things to work out and we're scared too. And is, is there any other quality that you think is um, really important? Forget about for us to look in others, but maybe to develop within ourselves. Because I, I, I know what they do in the classic 
I only know from Gaia's yeshivas, but I see it. My daughter's studying in seminary now. She's 18. And they actually, they actually have a class on preparing for marriage. The girls are 18. Now, they're not getting married for another four or five years. But, and it's really interesting what they do. And, they got, and, and I saw this. I have a 20-year-old son. He has a class like this in his yeshiva where they actually study the qualities that are important to develop in order to be a good husband or a good wife. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, and you know, every, you know, it depends who's teaching the class. Yeah, so I was gonna say. This rabbi thinks this quality is important, this rabbi. Yeah. But they're all taking it for, I'm just wondering if there's anything uh, out there that you think, if this person could just, if this woman, if this guy could cultivate more of, he or she would be so much more of an attractive personality. Or the relationships that they get into would probably you know, devolve into marriage. Okay. Well, I, I think that, um, so a lot of clients will hire me, and this is the only time I will say I will not work with you. Okay, if somebody comes to me and they say, just find me my match, like help me find my Bashir, like that's all I need, like, I mean, I don't really like my life, I'm not that happy, I don't really like myself, like I don't like my job, I don't like where I live, but if you just find me, find me someone, I'm just gonna be great. Someone I'm else really I could be miserable with. Yeah, they're, they're like, I'll just, yeah. I'll be happy, and I'm, first of all, Anytime I've ever seen somebody meet someone when they're like that, which is, it's very rare. Um, it's very unhealthy because that person is your sole source of happiness and it turns into complete toxicity. So I always say, I don't allow, I'm not going to even help you meet someone at all until we work on what it is that's keeping you back. And there's usually pillars of like, do you enjoy your home? Do you like where you live? Do you have pride in your home? People who are nomadic and they don't know if they like their city, they don't know if they wanna move. Then do you have self-worth through your career, your job, um, what gets you up in the morning? It doesn't even have to be a job. Do you have a passion? So that pillar, and then your love life. And if you have those three things, then typically you're kind of solid. So if somebody comes to me and they don't have a job, they don't know where they're gonna live, they don't, but if they just found a, a, a partner, then it would ground them, it's not, not healthy. So I believe in really getting your identity down. I know it sounds cliche, but really finding happiness within yourself. It's the oldest cliche in the world, but it is so true. And if you really love yourself and you find out who you are, and then I'm gonna go a second level there where I tell people, this is what I learned as I got older. If you find the qualities in someone else that make you better, that you could not do on your own. So you can improve yourself as much as you can, but then when you find a partner that helps you become the best you that you could never have achieved through all the therapy in the world, um, through all of the hard work. Um, so I'll give you an example. I get a lot of like anxious type A clients and I find that they do very well with their rock. When they meet someone that kind of calms them down and they say, wow, it's like my human Xanax. And I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. That was actually at a wedding speech I went to a couple months ago. And honestly, find your human Xanax. I'm not here for pharma or anything like that. But I do believe you've got to find the yin to your yang. But think of not just your identity, but what qualities in someone else that leave you feeling really good. Leave you feeling really good. Leaving you, leave, like, you feeling like a better person. But be your best self before you meet somebody. Because that, that's really the best way to, to be. Also, um, I hate the statement where this is my other half. Oh, this is my other half. She, you complete me. No, you're complete. I would like you to be a complete person. You meet another complete person. One plus one is two. So as we get older, love yourself independently so that when you come together, if you, God forbid, you break up or you lose your partner, you should not be a shell of a person. It's going to be really, really difficult, but you're still a human and you're still an independent and you still have a life worth living. So I try to teach people to love themselves and be complete on their own. 
you know, forget that, that what Renee Zellweger movie, Jerry Maguire, you complete me, I mean, come on. And, and, Be complete. And, and, and do, you, do you think that, um, you know, things have changed, I've seen a big change, um, and some of this is very positive, you know, um, that women today have had to compete in some more aggressive parts of the economy. And in doing so, become, you know, I'll say this in honor of Rabbi Shmuley, who couldn't be here. So he very much believes, he said this a few times, that um, the purpose and the goal of Judaism is actually to feminize the masculine. But what's happened in our society is just the opposite. What does it mean to feminize the masculine? Man's nature, the Talmud says, is to overpower, it's to overcome, it's to conquer. Um, whereas a woman's nature, and I'm, I'm not saying there aren't exceptions, generally speaking, a woman's nature is to nurture. And you could just look at the way a person is formed, right? Uh, a woman takes as, as the egg and the sperm fertilizes the egg and she nurtures it within. And that is the ultimate way actually to grow in our relationship with Hashem, not to impose something foreign from without, but to develop something from within. What's happened to um, in our society is because women have thankfully been allowed into the workforce as equals, they've had to compete and become more aggressive and it's not like you can just turn that off when you go out on a date. And I've heard a couple of guys saying they're really looking, even though they're 2023 and they're pretty progressive, they're really looking for more of a classic feminine type. But um, if, if you're meeting somebody that's more, that has to be a little more aggressive in the workplace to be successful, to be competitive, do you find that that's an issue? Do you find that men or you know, uh, you know, want to hunt, women don't want to be hunted anymore, and that, that, that is a problem like, that we have to go back? I'm, I'm asking. I'm not yeah. saying I really... No, I think it's incredibly confusing now. I think it's confusing, but I actually believe in that. I think that maybe it's my old school Georgia values, but um, I, I think it's confusing to people. But that is essentially, it's still the same. I still think men do want to hunt. I hate Bumble, okay? I mean, I'm sorry for the dating app. I just hate it. I, I, I really believe that ultimately... Men, and I actually think men like to chase. I think they like it, and, and I think we like to be chased. And um, I've seen a lot of confusion on first dates when it comes to paying. Men will tell me they don't think they should anymore because a girl told them, I'm an independent woman, let me pay for myself. And, and it's confused people. Um, I've, I had a client come to me where he said, I tried to open the door on a date. She goes, I can get the door myself. And it's very confusing because I actually think it flips the natural order of things in a way that it, it really shouldn't. Um, and it's really important to kind of articulate what you need instead of just judge or base it on past experience or base on one date you had, you then are going to apply that to the next person. I always say it's not the next person's fault. So if you have a bad first date, please don't take it onto the next one. But the same thing with the gender roles, and it's super confusing. I, I've dealt with it my whole life because I think that people think, oh, she's very strong. She's an independent businesswoman. I do always want to work. I never want to be the barefoot, you know, on kid number 10 in the kitchen, and I'm just... <laughs> I'm never out in the world ever again. I don't have a voice and I don't, I always want to work. Um, but the thing is, is I think even the strongest women have their little feminine moments. And I do like to take a, a very feminine role in my relationships, but it's very confusing to a man that's like, so, what, so what I you, have to articulate, you have to articulate. Yeah, right. I teach a lot of clients, how do you articulate how you are, what you like and, and what you need to. And do you counsel men therefore to try, not to be aggressive, God forbid, but to be more assertive, Yes. more the man you know even if it may not be in new york city which t tends to be a much little better more, outside of the city guys there right i'm saying it's a little more of a liberal town where 
these roles have been, I guess, um, I don't know, confused a bit. And, and not everyone's like this. Not every guy needs to be that. Not every girl needs right, right. Need to be the, you know. But I, I um, so what do you, do, do you counsel? What, I've actually said this. I don't know how you feel about this. There was a very accomplished woman coming here, uh, like, you know, top of her class, Ivy League, you know, graduate schools, you know, and, and I've, I've counseled her, you know, to be, I don't even know what the word is. What am I looking for? I don't know what it means even to be a more feminine today. I've counseled her to ask more questions of the guy, to try to make him feel a little more special, uh, make him a little more the object. I know you're laughing, but it helped. Bake him some cookies. Yeah, I don't know. You know? Um, I'm just one, I'm, you know, I'm looking to turn this over to you guys in a minute, so I don't have to ask the embarrassing questions anymore. But um, I don't know, maybe this is a good way of segue. I do think, do you see, I like to end on this note too, because it also shows we're all just overthinking. We're all like questioning and wondering and just break it down to basics and just take the chemistry and roll with it and, and give people the benefit of the doubt and don't dismiss people so quickly and like just take a more positive approach every day. I just wish everybody would just be a little more excited and positive and and try and not overthink. Like we can be our own worst enemies in dating and just the thinking of roles and all of everything. But I want to go back to that. <laughs> now because, um, has anyone felt this before? You know, that, um, I don't know, have any of the guys here felt like um, you wanted to feel more like the man? Um, yeah? And, and, and what would that, what would that look like? If, you, if I could ask, like what would that, what would you want the girl, I don't know, are there more, are you more the object of the, they're laughing over here. Um, I, I don't even know what I'm asking here. I, I know this is an issue, that's why I'm bringing it up. Okay, this happens a lot. Oh, well, I, okay, I'm gonna lead into it a little bit. Yeah, okay? please. So I, a lot of male clients of mine will say, I don't even know how much control of the first date I should take anymore. Yeah. Like sometimes a girl will just say, this is what I eat, this is what I drink, I only go out in the Upper West Side, so pick a place, go. And then they're like, whoa. And, and I try to say, you know what, I'd like you to operate on just the, the impression that you're just gonna take control and then she'll step in and say, you know what, I don't drink wine, can we do a martini bar instead, whatever. I don't eat sushi, can we do this? So I, I'm trying to, but men are now telling me I'm confused, I don't know if, if they want me to be spontaneous, and I just say, nope, you're just gonna plan the date, I'd rather you go in and take control of something, and then she can always come in and voice her opinion, but the confusion is when they, when I see things just not go very well. Um, chemistry, we don't have much control over, right? We have control over like everything else. So like if you can plan a date and set it up for success, that's in our control. So I've been trying to teach the men to just, let's just plan the date in advance, and, and time, and place. And I do believe in paying for the first date. And then, and as if the relationship's working out, comes the natural trade-off. I believe in the exchange, the natural balance of a relationship. If the man is paying for your dates, you know, maybe on the third or fourth date, the woman says, I'd like to cook you something, or I want to give you a massage, or like, I'm going to show up to something that's very important for you. We'll just stay with the cookie. We'll keep yeah. the cookie. It's like there's an exchange. Or, you know, MJE cookies. You know, you can just show up and say you bake them and bring those tears of cookies, right. whatever. But it's an exchange. But I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer in first date, the man should pay. Okay. So, and, Remember, and, the first date should just be a drink. Okay. Right. To keep it simple. 
That's, by the way, that's that's a big finish for me, by the way, what you said about the, the hour. Yeah, yeah. studying the psychology. And by the way, Rebitz, well. Rebitz and Young Rice, I don't know if you remember her, blessed memory. She was also responsible. By the way, MG's up to 377, not yes. that we're posting. 382. 382? Oh, okay, 382 marriage since we started. But Rebitz and Young 385 Rice. 385 after tonight. <laughs> she used to say, when you call somebody, this is before texting and all that, she used to say, when you call someone, call the person, make a date, get off the phone. No yes, long conversation. Yeah. So it's the same principle, I assume. Same principle. Also, communication is a big problem, texting and phone call. Um, communicate about communication as early as possible. So like first date, hey, I'm a texter, or hey, sorry, I haven't texted you all week. I'm really bad at this stuff. Can we just talk on the phone? Establish it so early. Most of my clients come to me, can you translate all these messages? Like, what does it mean? And honestly, you guys can fix that. You don't need me. You don't need to shell it out for an hour of my time when you can just ask each other, are you a texter, are you a caller? What do you like? What's your style? Um, men, good morning texts and good night texts, biggest way to get to their heart and tell you. Just, just say good morning. It's really nice. I always um, do But yeah, communicate about yeah. communication. And then once you plan Shabbat a date. Shabbat Shalom, Fridays. I, I always say, I say, say Shabbat Shalom. And then. Um, We're the yin and yang here. Yeah, it is. No, this is beautiful. Um, also, like, what was I going to say about the communication? I was going to say one more thing about it. Um, about the texting info. Oh, yes. Yeah, so if you, if you guys could plan a date. So if it meant after a first date, plan your second and third date. Just please plan it and stop the pointless, like, hey, how's your day? Because if we had a good first date with you, we'd like to know, well, are we going to go out again? Like, come on. And then they just keep going, hey, how's work? What'd you eat for lunch? And you're like, just plan a second date, and then you don't have to chat very much, okay? Just say, like, hey, are you free Friday? I had a great time last night. Blah, blah, blah. Just get straight to the point, direct. And then once you have another date on the calendar, don't worry about, hey, What's going on? Like, we're always waiting. Like, are they gonna make a plan? Do I have to ask them what they're doing this weekend? Please, so that's a big piece of advice I have with communication. Um, questions from the audience, please. Questions. Yes, boys coming out. Pretty nice, the flowers, it's beautiful. <laughs> so, as, this is kind of taking a few different points that we've brought up so far. As a stronger, working, independent woman trying to date and wanting to be pursued by seemingly lazy men, how do you coach them without making them a project and sort of like drop the hints that you want them to like take a little more initiative? I wouldn't even drop the hint. I'd say, I wish that you would please plan the date. It would mean a lot to me. Just say just it. Direct, yeah, just direct. Okay. Direct. And then second question. But is, it depends on which training, like which, you know. Yeah. Like you, topic. you, they check all the boxes and it like is seemingly like so perfect, but you're not like excited. How do you like try to infuse a little more excitement? Um, to, well, if, if it's not, that sounds like to me it's not there. If there's not excitement, right? I don't know. Is there, do you know what I mean? Are you, are you because you're, wait, are you seeing potential? Oh, that's a crime. That's a crime. If to me, like when there's not excitement there, that that's a that's a sign. You try a couple times to infuse, and to me, that's ask questions or think of the things that make you bond with someone. Maybe um, for me, I love animals and health and fitness. So if I'm if I feel like our conversations are getting dry, but I bond very well with men who like really love animals, and we talk about our dogs, and then I'm like, oh, I feel a bonding moment. So maybe think of the things that would get you excited um, and try. And then, is there like an optimal age range oh, to oh, be God, pursuing? I so I, I mean, I find that like 
men mature slower oh, than women you, do. Oh, you find correctly. Yes. So, like, for example, I'm 27 and pretty, like, headstrong and career-oriented and living in New York City on my own out there. The equivalent of a 52-year-old man exactly. <laughs> in New York. <laughs> so yeah. how do you deal with that? Because no one wants to... It's like you can only Don't have a conversation every, every man will want you in their 40s. Old. They will, yes. No, no, they will love that. They will love you being 27. So you'll you'll do great out there with the older men. They will. <laughs> no, but there is, I mean, I hate to say it. Yeah, I know, no, no. So you will, to me, I do find difficulty with um, with dating your age at 27. Now, that being said, I've, I've dated personally. A lot of my study comes from my own experience. I was engaged to a man nine years younger, and then I went for a man 15 years older, the redhead. We were together for four years. He converted to Judaism, and it was a really good relationship. Um, so to me, I've seen difference in the ages. Everybody is a different case, right? And you also have to see what you're attracted to. I've, I've learned that if somebody's older than me, it's not just maturity. It's that I find that if you live more life, it's just like sexy. Like I just find that like wisdom gained from somebody who has a few more years on this earth than me. But um, but it, it's very dependent. But I do find where where'd she go? The twenty seven year old. Okay, it's it it it's hard. It's hard. And I, I try to be open about age. I just think it's you got to treat everybody as a different case. So everyone there's exceptions to every rule. I try to be open. I try to be open. Okay, I have the same question. Um, so I'm 34. I like older men. Um, and my parents had a 13-year age gap. So my last, uh, my ex was also 13 years apart. Um, they're saying that when you tend to like older men, you kind of have like daddy issues, <laughs> which which I don't. Um, <laughs> but um, what is like your opinion on, on this? I think that older men are attractive, you know, also they're wiser, they're more financially set, and uh, I think they just know better. <laughs> So I love older men. Um, wow, you're a big plug for them. This is great. So you're 34. I, I will teach you a, a, a lot of what um, comes with with older people. And this goes for women and men too. And you'll see this if you, I, my grandparents were 12 years apart. My parents are over 10 years apart. So I've seen it in my family too, and I'm attracted to it as well. Um, no baggage becomes baggage. So if you are meeting a man that's 15 years, if you're 34 and you're meeting somebody in his late 40s, remember what I told you, accept him as he is. Accept him as he is, number one piece of advice. But also, what I'm learning about as I get older, and I keep go, going older, if they don't have any baggage, that is weird. And so that means you're going to have to start understanding that older people have baggage. They've lived, and it's a good thing, but it is bringing a whole new slew of problems I'm studying. I'm studying what it's like to date divorced people, what it's like to date people who have children. Um, and the baggage that it comes from living and being traumatized by even a tough marriage. So just brace yourself for that. But there's, to me, and I, I speak very, very confidently about this, I would much rather, rather have that kind of baggage than a 48-year-old who is never committed and is Peter Pan and still going out with all of his boys every weekend and throwing up at the dive bars and as a futon, okay? I'd much rather take the older man baggage, but be prepared. It's a whole different whole different ballgame. I, I do want to add to that. So he pursued the relationship. I didn't want to. Okay. Um, within two to three months, he I met his parents. 
And I thought, okay, we're gonna continue. We, we met, we traveled together. I, within the year, um, it was one year later, and I said, well, are we going to get married? You know, it's you're 46, it's, I don't want you to be like- Was he married before? He was, but like in his early 20s. Okay, still. So I told him, you know, it takes time to have a family and, you know, get pregnant and so forth. And he's like, we'll push it later. Like he kept pushing it. And, and at that point, I thought that he would not be ready. So yeah. I said, okay, it's time to leave. Good. So, like, how do you know when it comes to these men? Like, when should they be ready to? I know you said six months to a year. Timing, timing is everything. Another huge cliche. It is everything. I can't tell you how many people tell me that same story, and they ask, and the guy's like, ah, I don't know. It, it time when they tell you. I mean, I hate to say it, but you you do have to have the right person, but you have to have the right time. And if they're not like, I am actively, I want to get married again, if they're divorced, or I really, really want to get married, if they've never been married, I really want marriage, I really want kids. I have, a, I have a thing that when I evaluate people who come to me and say that they really want something, I say, are they talking the talk and walking the walk? Because I get a lot of people who come to me and they are talking the talk, and then I evaluate their lifestyle, and I say, you are dating like seven girls at once, you're drinking every night, you're going to these like weekend getaways with a million singles. Like you are not ready to commit, but you're saying it. So you've got to assess early on. Are they talking the talk? Are they walking the walk? Ask the questions. But timing, it's such another underrated thing. We meet people and maybe we don't think that we're going to change them. But maybe we think we'll change their timing. You know that old cliche, oh, they just haven't met the right person yet. No, that's like one out of every million stories. So when it makes the news, we keep thinking, I'll be that girl that changes the, the little Peter Pan guy who's never gonna grow up. No, we won't be that girl. So it, timing is really important. Assess early on how badly does somebody want this and what do they want. That's part of the change thing. So the older men, if they don't want something, it's gonna take a long time. And the only way to assess if they want it, you gotta leave them. I mean, I hate to say it, but after a year, leave. And if they miss you enough, then they might, they might might their timing might change through the missing. You know, it's rough. I, I would just add one thing. Um, Totally agree on the a little tough love if they're not committing by a certain point, just like Aaron was saying. Just want to also make sure when you're dealing with someone who's older, and I also have family members married much older, that this person isn't purposely, intentionally looking for somebody who that they can control. Because it's easier to control someone with less experience in life. Yeah. So you want to really just make just sure. Seems strong. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying... There are a lot of very wonderful marriages that lasted many, many years of people 20 years apart from each other, and they were healthy relationships. But there are, unfortunately, a significant number of, you know, where that age gap is intentional and deliberate on the part of one of the parties to be able to lord over, dominate, and, and really, um, you know, kind of suffocate the other person's sense of independence. So. That's why you have to come in as with your sense of identity intact first, yeah. always. But I will say this, I found the opposite. The older men to me love my strong personality. I find that they're more secure. And so I've done better with older men being attracted to me and accepting me for, it's very hard to date a wing woman, guys. Okay, when you go out with dudes at night, I it, like a lot of guys couldn't handle it. The older men who have like been very secure in what they've been able to accomplish in their lives do much better. With what I feel, I haven't had the control issues. I've had the like that they they respect and they are very proud of me. So Thank I hope you. I hope you find you seem strong. You just gotta like set have that identity intact before you meet anybody. Then you want to have those <laughs> I know. Thirty-seven. I know. You're telling me. 
I do a lot of talks on egg freezing and how we talk about those conversations. By the way, I just, we need to do a talk on it. So egg we could. I would just say something very briefly because I feel like I'd be remiss. I just had an hour-long meeting with one of the top um, fertility specialists here in New York City. I, I meet a lot um, with them with clients too. Yeah, yeah and I, he is very much encouraging rabbis like myself, people like yourself, to encourage people to consider. Uh, you have to go for you know consultation with your physician. Uh, freezing eggs because the technology is getting better thankfully it's not perfect it's not cheap but um, I've been able to help students of mine get married uh, to women at later ages because um, because they've frozen their eggs I don't want you know I had another rabbi colleague of mine who said you really shouldn't say this publicly because what's gonna end up happening is just gonna create this false illusion that we can all keep getting married at a later age and everything will be fine. And that's not true. But, it, you know, the cat's out of the bag already in a sense. The reality is, is that we're getting married at an older age. And it's something that everybody should consider. Uh, it's not cheap and it's not a simple procedure medically, but the technology is getting better and better, thankfully. Um, and it's something people should consider. I'm just throwing it out there. You should speak with your doctor. It's not for me to... There is a disproportionate amount of Jews that egg freeze over other religions, which is very interesting. So well, you know what? Like it a is. cultural um, <laughs> babies in age obsessions. There's a... The more educated... This is sad, in my opinion. The more educated you are, there's a positive correlation between education and getting married later. Of course, yes. And Jews yeah, are the highest yeah. educated ethnicity in America. So that's why there's more egg freezing, and we have a few extra bucks. So, uh, question? Yes. Yeah. Um, just, just wanted to ask you. You know, we, we mentioned the, the politics thing. I, I, I look at that in two ways. Like in one way, it could be that if you're open about your points of view, if you kind of like even like hint it out on the onset, like maybe you meet, you're more likely to meet less people, but they're more on, on the same boat. But then on the other way of looking at it is that if you kind of think on the lines of like, well, I have this specific view and people have to share exactly the same point of view as me, like you rule out a ton of people. So I just wanted to get your point of view, like where do you kind of draw the line or how do you kind of go about it if you're someone that like has like particularly strong views? I do get a lot of those and they happen to live in Florida actually. So I work, I work all over the place. But when, it's, when they have a very, very, very specific, I will tell them when, when and how to deliver it in a softer way. They actually mean well. I'm talking about the super specific beliefs. I do agree with what you should always suss out the things that are the most important to you early on. And yes, it will, it will push away a lot of people, but it will make your connections that, that much stronger. That's what I mean too about getting older. When you do make it work, it will work out. Um, and that's it, but it's just, it's gonna be quality over quantity as we age, if, if you're doing it right. Okay, that's what should right. and, and I'm just throwing that more, a lot of people have said, well, you know, I'm becoming more observant now, or I'm becoming right. more this, and it's gonna rule out this whole pool of people. Right? I've had parents who've come to me and said, just limiting yourself to Jews, is, how many are we? Mm -hmm. Right, as though that's gonna keep people single longer. People get married faster yeah, when they know what they're does. looking for. And it's like, think about a job for a minute. It could be a million jobs, but if you really know and you can zero in on what you're looking for, you will increase the likelihood of finding a job faster than if everything is an option. So, so know who you are, stick to who you are, and look within a smaller pool. You will, I think, and statistically this bears out, the studies show this, 
you will increase the likelihood of finding your soulmate. I just did a TV series for Inc. Business Magazine. It's a business magazine, and they made me do a series on comparing job searching to dating as we age, and it is exactly that. You, have to, you are more filtered down, but you're going to be so much happier when you're in a specialized field and you're doing what you do best. And when you find your person, you will. Now, that being said, to answer your second question, I do help people deliver their very specifics in the right way. Like, I don't think that you have to preliminary say everything before the first date. You set up a tone of, like, abrasiveness before you even get to the person. So when you're there, you can assess. I, I usually tell a lot of people, too, to pick a couple questions to come up with two to three questions that tell you everything you need to know as much as you can about the other person meshing with you. I have some silly ones. Okay. I mean, I'm big on health and fitness, so I try to assess like, you know, how much do they work out and like, how do they eat? But one of my questions that I always ask is, you know, how do you like Miami? I know it sounds like a dumb question, but uh, I've lived there for a year in the pandemic and I grew up in Georgia and Florida and I know how they answer that question it tells me everything about them. And I will know if I will make it or I'll go out with them again. But it's a cool question to ask. I'm not, I'm not asking them a million specific. I'm just saying, so have you ever been to Miami? Like, what do you think of it down there? Do you like it? And how they answer. I don't, I don't say what I, my thoughts are, but I know if I'm going to have another date. So try to think of your questions that are kind of a cool way of asking. Not like, did you vote for Trump? I mean, that was the big one, right? Try to come up with other softer ways to get you what you need to know about your date. And so I always have a client, I challenge them to come to me and give me their three questions before the date. And I say, oh, that's a good one, that's a good one. So like, it, it's, it's fun, you know, how they feel about kids. You know, they say, oh my God, my, my sister just had a baby. I'm an uncle, I'm so excited. And, and then if you see the guy's face go like, oh God, babies. Like you figure things out, you know. And so find, think of your questions, like the, a softer way of figuring out what you need to know. And it makes the date still romantic, but you're finding out your information. I drop my Miami bomb whenever I can. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, this isn't one of those, I have a friend. So I legit do have a friend. I mean, you can see my, uh, yeah. Um, so I have a friend who um, likes to say, I'm just going to, he's a guy. So it's, that's important to see. I'm just going to wait for the girl to come to me. And I'm just going to sit back and she's going to come approach me. And I, I keep trying to tell him, I'm like, you know, the way a girl approaches you is when she's around you, is when she wants, she makes herself known to you, then you go about making the first move. So how do you get guys out of that mindset that like think that, oh, I'm just gonna sit back and it's gonna happen? Well, firstly, I am a wing woman so they can hire me and they literally can sit back and I will go and get the girl. Um, so that's the easy way out. Um, but. You know, Wayne Gretzky, this is a very well-known quote, but you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Um, I do believe in having nights in for yourself and doing things for yourself. I have solo dates. I take myself to 92Y. Um, I take myself out to dinners. I'm not waiting for somebody to go do something I've always wanted to do. Um, but that being said, you can't spend every night inside or every night just sitting in the background and not trying. Um, and I come up with a million methods for somebody's like, you know, I'm going to let somebody come to you. And I say, well, why are they saying that to me? Like, why would they say, I'm just going to wait and they're not doing anything active. And I actually try to, I usually figure out they have fear or there's something that they're like, you know what, I'm just not aggressive or like I'm sick of apps. And then I come up with a bunch of different methods for meeting people. It's not just an app. It's not just a matchmaker. There are many other ways, but I definitely don't believe that we should just wait around and do 
absolutely nothing and just think that like, oh, well, I love myself and life is good, so the person will just come. No, you, you, if you're sitting at home, like, they're, they're not gonna come, but. Do you think it's different with guys and girls in that, in that respect? Um, well, I mean, definitely, I think that women don't pursue as aggressively. So I think, you know, if a man's like, they're just gonna come to me, ah, what, what kind of girl? But then maybe he'll meet the right type of aggressive woman for him if that's what he really was looking for. But I don't believe in, in thinking that they'll just come to you if you are sitting at home and not improving yourself. If you're out and about living your best life, going out with your friends, um, working on your career, doing what you want to do. Um, but I will say on the flip side, I do have a lot of people who think that that translates to, well, you know what, if, if a guy's gonna come to me, I'm just gonna keep traveling and go out. Travel can be your enemy, okay? Travel can be the death to momentum. So I do believe in taking a trip, but how many times have you met someone and they're like, well, I'm going away for two weeks here, and then I'm gonna go away for a month. So if you're really dedicated to meet, meeting somebody, like you need to stay and get the dating off the ground. Um, I see this all the time in the winter, um, people just leaving and just going for weeks at a time. So I still want you to be living your life and trying to meet someone, but if you're gonna prioritize dating, you need to prioritize dating. It's almost like a job, like stay super focused. And, and say like, this is my year. Like, I'm really gonna work on this. I'm gonna try different approaches. I'm not gonna give up and I'm gonna make it exciting. Um, first dates, dating should actually be very exciting. I have a lot of blogs and podcasts on how to make the transition from a bad day at work or a raining day or a day where you're like, oh my God, I'm so bloated. I don't feel good today. I'm like ugly, I'm breaking out. No, you're gonna turn it around and you're gonna feel really hot and excited for your date. I have a whole way for you to transition from work to dating. You should never wear what you wore to the office and then just go. Uh, I've always told guys to shower. You gotta switch. If they, you, that's a basic piece of advice that's great. Well, just then, I mean, no, because the whole- You change the whole Changing, way. you change, yeah. and there's like a little, there's a very beautiful line from Rabbi Salvechik who said that Ein Kedusha Beli Hachana, there can be no holiness without preparation. And I, we always try to do this because yeah. we want to hop in as much as we can in life. But if you can, Spend a few minutes transitioning from yes. your day. I have this problem because I work on the same block that I live. So I have no transition from my work to home, it's bad. So sometimes I walk around the block a couple of times. Because, and it's the same thing, it's 10 times more important I think with a date. You wanna shower, put something else on, put, your, put a different face on, that's going to affect the way you feel about yourself. I, I literally have a service called the pre-game service. Okay, it's a pre-game for the date. And I meet my clients for 30 minutes right before their date. And with guys, I've literally brought like a little bag of like Axe body spray, <laughs> like Old Spice deodorant, um, even a shirt of theirs that they wanted to switch out because they don't have time from the office to the date. And then the, my, what my job is for those 30 minutes, I get them pumped up. Like we pick a little bar next to the restaurant they're going to. We just laugh. I get him to stop talking about work. He might talk about a case he had, you know, in court that day and he gets it all out in the first 10 minutes. And then he, you know, and then he's ready to go. We're laughing. He Wait, has a shot of whiskey. With they go out with you before Yeah, they do. go out with me. I have so many, sir. I do mock dates. Does I that do. work? Does that really work? Oh yeah, it gets them in it. They're, they're in a great mood and they feel really good by the time they go over. Same thing with females. I'll do, I'll do their makeup, hair. We'll like, we'll have a little girls drink before. I'll make them feel like, get the work mode out. Get the work mode out and like literally, and I, with myself before a date, I literally will pick up my favorite bar, I will change clothes and I will have 30 minutes to myself where I'm literally gearing myself up. It's very mental. Dating is very mental, but if you make a decision to make it a great night, it will be, it will be, no matter what, especially if it's an hour. I mean, how exciting is an hour date, guys? It's so exciting.
Because then you just don't have that whole night. You don't have to be like, there it is. And, you're, and you won't be tired for work. You won't be hungover. And then, guys, you don't have to spend that much. I mean, no, what a great idea. And then I always say, oh, and I don't allow on the first date, I don't allow physical contact. So in that one hour, I want you to build up all the tension that you possibly can. We do that for now, months. All guys are like, I just leaned in and I just. Much better. It's Six, it's seven better. months of that. Oh, that's beautiful. And then the marriage night, it's unbelievable. Oh, wow. Well, I just try to get you to a second date. But the first date, I mean, you know how many guys tell me, well, I just like didn't know if there was any chemistry, so I just grabbed her and I just tried to make out on the first, and I'm always like, how many times, girls, show of hand, did you want them to kiss you when they first did? I mean, is, has that ever happened where you like have not wanted them to and they just went in? You don't have to raise your hands, okay, because the guys could be in the room that did it. Oh, that's pretty bad. But anyways, I, that happened to me a million times where I'm like having a nice time and then they just, and I'm like, whoa, it's been like 30 minutes. But I'll tell you what, if you don't touch us on the first date, but you bond with us up here, we will want you so hard on that second date because you will be so excited about that. You'll be like, wait, was he attracted to me? He didn't really like make a move. So hot, so hot. Now, if you wait five dates and you're still not like touching their arm, we think you're gay, but if- but, Or religious. Or, okay, I, there's the rabbi's response, guys, but, but you know, oh, there are something ways, beyond even if your you're religious, religious you can hug you can do some much ultra but there's ways to show attraction you should have done this earlier you should see when i do a talk with shmoli it's crazy shmoli and i go but yeah it's good i wish um one last question we have time for one last question yes oh sorry i arrived a little bit late but i'm glad that i heard what i've heard so far so thank you so much for being here and i appreciate it um so i think my question is like I guess more on the outside of dating and more towards like a marriage, um, which is like, how do you find someone that you're actually going to spend your life with? And like, things are going to change, you know, if you want to spend your life with someone for 40, 50, 60 years, things are going to change and people are going to evolve. And I, um, I think the biggest question that I'm, you know, walking with these days is how do I find someone that I know I can trust to grow through life with? and know that they're gonna be there and I'm gonna be able to be there for them and um, I'd really love to hear your perspective on that. Well, I'll say we, we never know, right? We're never gonna know 100%, but I will tell you a lot of the couples I've known that have not made it, um, like they got married, they got divorced, they told me they knew that they couldn't really trust them in the beginning, but they just, oh, they just wanted to get married. And I, I do think that if you feel trust in the beginning and you want it, two people have to be dedicated Okay, my cousin just got married at 38 to a man who's 40 through a matchmaker. And these two, you, I never would have put them together. I never would have thought they would have met in a normal walk of life. However, they are both so dedicated to each other, to love, to marriage, to family. I think they'll make it forever, okay? But I think you have to be dedicated. You have to say, I believe in this. I believe there's a lot of people these days, if they had a bad example, they'll say, well, my parents had a terrible marriage and I just think marriage is whatever. And you have to be dedicated to trying and working and learning. I'm so, so I say I do mediation. I do couples counseling, okay, for couples. But I don't like the word therapy. I think couples therapy has a stigma. I say I'm a couples translator. So I say, you know, I, I used to be in diplomacy. I worked abroad in, in, um, for the government. And I did, I was, I was a diplomat. So I actually take the same strategy. I try to translate what a couple is just trying to say to each other. It, it can be a positive thing to just constantly be evolving in your relationship. It doesn't have to be like, we're in therapy. No, we see somebody who helps us translate some stuff. 
helps us get through the hard times, but you have to be super committed, super dedicated. And I actually think like the gut also underrated, like trust your gut. Like if you think, I think I'm making a mistake here. When couples have told me that they've said that, their gut has told them and they were right a couple of years down the road. So I think we do, we're never gonna fully know, but you've gotta believe in love. You've gotta be dedicated, you gotta be committed and you just have to try. One reason why I do not frown on divorce is if you have tried and you went in with the best of intentions and you really wanted something and it didn't work out, just be good to yourself. And you tried, you tried. I mean, I think that's better than living your whole life never trying something. So I do think go in knowing that you're gonna, you're gonna give it your best and you're gonna be super dedicated and super committed. So I just, I try to take a very positive stance to it. But it's hard because it, if we overthink, if this is gonna be a person we're gonna be with for 40 or 50 years, we'll drive ourselves crazy. So just remember that there are, we're never gonna find somebody who is our little unicorn, our Frankenstein that we put all these pieces together. They're not gonna have everything in line, but I think you'll feel it, you'll know when you know. So I would just add, thank you, that was great. Um, I would just add the three things we mentioned before, physical attractiveness, shared values, and kindness, which I think is really important. Something else I wrote about in my book based on the teachings of Rabbi Salvechik um, is um, somebody you think you want to get to know more. Okay, because we're going to change. And that's what I was saying before, and I don't know if you're here for that. You're going to change every couple of years. Certain things won't change. I agree with what Aaron said before. Certain personality things, you know, I think we could theoretically, but most people don't, unfortunately. But you're going to evolve, you're going to become a little different. Um, so if you find someone you're, you know, and I'll say this more for the guys, even though it probably applies to women too. If a person said to me, I want to pick someone who I can spend the next 40 years of my life with, I would never have gotten married. It's too freaky of a thought to make a decision that's going to affect 40 years. So the therapist I went to said to me, Mark, do you like her? I said, yeah. You're looking forward to being with her next time? I said, yeah. Um, you guys have shared values, yeah. You're physically attracted, yeah. Um, that was it. Do you want to spend next year with her? When he put, he took 40 and he made it into one, that helped me tremendously. Because it, it's too, it, it, you're going to freak yourself out. And I'll tell you yeah. a story that just backs up what you said before. That same therapist, when he got married, his name is Josh Lamb, he donated these books, bookcases from his father, Rabbi Dr. Norman Lamb, with blessed memory. When he got married, Rabbi Salavechik was his officiant at his wedding. He was in the Sadiq Kedushin. And right before he walked down the aisle, Rabbi Salavechik looked at him and said, so, are you sure? It's a really bad thing to ask your groom before they walk down the aisle. And he just froze. He didn't know what to answer. And you know what the rabbi said? He goes, good. Only a fool could be sure. There's no such thing. Now, that doesn't mean you close your eyes and go, hope this works. That's ridiculous. You have to have those things. You want to spend the next year with them? And here's one last thing, which is really hard for our generation. You have to believe more in the institution of marriage. Yes, If you don't believe more. Now, there's a good reason. Who's it? Bill uh, Barr, what's his name? Bill Bird. Bill Bird. Yeah. You know, he's like, you're on the airplane, and they give you a parachute, and they say, jump. There's 50% chance you'll die, and 50%, you know, that, that's marriage, he said, because 50%. You can't look at it that way. You have to look at, and, and it's exactly what Aaron was saying, and I will tell you after 27 years, 
Um, it's work, but it's the best work in the world because it's work that builds you from internally. We are so used to building ourselves externally, superficially, professionally, socially. Marriage builds your yourself up from the inside. And, and that's why it does take a translator. A lot of couples, very happily married couples, go to therapy every week. doesn't mean that their relationship is in shambles because they want to make it work. And you also need to understand the definition of marriage. Why, If you don't believe in it, why not? So I help people translate, well, why don't you believe in it? And when you formulate your definition of what marriage would, would be like for you, it doesn't have to be some conventional definition that you think it's supposed to be exactly like suburbs, minivan, and the, no, I've, I've helped couples in the city work like and have two apartments and they kind of share one and they, it can be different. It can be your version, but to be dedicated. And I, I agree with you that they, people don't believe in the institution. Well, what is the definition of the institution to you? You need to formulate what it means. And I help doing that with translation. I help couples say, well, this is what I want. Oh, this is what I want. Oh, well, Hey, this actually is a shared vision. That's maybe not exactly what they thought it was, you know? Uh, one last question. I felt bad. Go for it. Thank you. That was amazing. So, you know, I'm actually, I have my, I just had this argument with my son who's 25 and starting to date, okay? And he got fixed up with some girl and they hadn't gone out yet. And some other matchmaker called and said, hey, would you like to, is this too confusing? So if it's too confusing, then don't do it, obviously. It waters it down. And to me, it waters it down. But here's the good news. But, but what I was going to say. Don't lock in. Yeah, because I feel sometimes it could take so long for some people to get their act together and go on the date. And the whole thing between being fixed up and getting the date and da-da-da-ba-ba-ba could be two, three weeks. And you've just lost some time. But for a lot of people, it's very confusing. And if it's confusing for you and you can't focus on that one person, then don't do it, in my opinion. But if you can, because you're not in a relationship yet, you're just checking them out, it's just that hour That's exactly day. what I tell people. If you can, do it. If you can't, don't. But natural selection, even if you can do it, natural selection will find you your person. So, But not dating five, six, seven people at the same time, no. Dating two to three, while it's not exclusive, if, if you're able to do it, trust me, I have a lot of clients who say, I just can't do that. I just, I, I like one person and then the other two, I just can't like them as much. But if you can do it, then do it when you can. And natural selection, you will actually end up, somebody will rise of those two or three. But I've never seen anybody but, continually date three seriously for like a long amount of time. Right, that's... That, Is that right? He's, well, that borders on, on unethical at some point. In other words, yeah. at what point, yeah. if you start getting into a relationship with someone, you need to then tell them, by the way, I, I, I'm, I'm also seeing other people. I, I can't even tell you how many people have said to me over the years that like, they found out that the other guy, yes. and they kind of see it as cheating. What do you mean yes. cheating? Where I'm, I'm dating, we haven't made a commitment to each other. Yeah, but she's thinking, or he's thinking, you're really into each other, you're seeing each other exclusively, just be transparent. Also, I had a client tell me the reason why she can't date, she doesn't like dating more than one person at a time, even if it's not exclusive. This is a really good point, guys. She said, I hate like lying. I said, you're not lying. She goes, no, I'm omitting. I mean, if he says, like, what did you do last night? I didn't say, oh, I went out to dinner with this guy. And she said, I hate living that kind of an omissive life. I want to be with one person where I can just be myself and transparent. And I realized that's actually really beautiful because I have no problem with lying. <laughs> I was dating multiple people. I was like, no problem, right? But I love that she said that because that is true. You can't do that forever, guys. You can't do that and, and be happy. So think about that. You have to. When you're juggling people, you start to feel uncomfortable with, with who you really are and what you're disclosing.
you know. Uh, I want to thank you, Erin, for coming here tonight and sharing your pros and wisdom. It was amazing. Thank you so much. Um, if anybody would like to get more information um, about Erin's work, her blog, her all of her stuff is great. So check it out, please. Where do they check it out? Um, I have Shabbatness.com is my Jewish blog website, and then AaronDavisWW.com. And anyone who comes to an MJ event gets fifty dollars off the first if you ever need me oh. for an hour for any service. Wing woman, makeover, couples mediation, anything at all. Analyze your text messages, whatever. Do your hinge profile makeover. <laughs> anything. If you came to this, just forward your ticket to me um, or take a picture, and it's $50 off for a session. So. And read also uh, my book, Beyond the Instant. The first two chapters are devoted. First one's happiness. Second one's relationships. The third one is on sex. All three of those chapters are very, very important if you want to get a little Torah perspective yeah. on building long and lasting relationships. Thank you so much, Erin. Have a great night, everyone. There's plenty of refreshments and drinks and cookies and fun stuff in the back. Have a great night.